I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. All right, welcome back into Bucket Heads, uh, Land Grant Holy Land's only college basketball-focused podcast. I know everyone needs a little bit of college basketball in their life after the last week, so you know we have it for you here. Uh, I'm your host, Justin Golba. I am not joined by my co-host, Connor Lamans right now just because of some slight technical difficulties, but uh, we're just going to do a quick intro here because we have a really fun podcast for you today. We did a Duke preview with known Duke hater Tate Frazier of Titus and Tate Podcast. Uh, Tate is a North Carolina alum, and if you ever listen to Tyson Tate, uh, you know that he has his feelings on Duke. So we brought him on to talk about Duke. Um, obviously, while he is a hater of Duke, he is very also knowledgeable about Duke because you got to know your enemies. Just as we know Michigan so well, he knows Duke very well. So we had a great interview with him, talked to him about Duke, uh, a little bit about Ohio State because Titus and Tate were at the Maui Invitational and got to see Ohio State close up and personal, uh, a little bit about Chris Holtman. And then we did some fun rapid fire questions at the end. So uh, we'll get you into that soon. Um, As we're recording this, I just want to say rest in peace to the Big Ten ACC Challenge. I don't think they officially announced it, but the rumor was, and then the sources say, and the crickets confirm that uh, Big Ten ACC Challenge is ending after 23 years. Uh, I'm only 26 years old, so I don't even remember a world that the Big Ten AC Challenge doesn't exist. Um, I believe they're also ending the SEC Big 12 Challenge, and they're going to do the SEC ACC Challenge, I think is the new plan. Um, so maybe that'll leave the door open for the Big Ten and the Big 12 to do something. Or, you know, the Big Ten and the Big East already do the Gavit games, so it'd probably have to be the Big 12. And the I'm down for the Big Ten doing the Big Ten and the MAC Challenge. I think that'd be a lot of fun. But um, that's just me. 
what do I know? Um, I'm just a podcaster. So, but rest in peace to the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Uh, we hardly knew thee. Actually, we knew you for 23 years. But nevertheless, uh, we'll get you into this interview with Tate Frazier here in just a second. Obviously, if you're finding us on the website, please make sure to like, subscribe, rate, review, do all the fun stuff. Get us to be one of the biggest college basketball podcasts out there because that's what we're going for. And, um, you know, we, we can get bigger guests and better guests. We've already had some great guests like Chris Holtman, like Joey Lane, like Mark Titus, like Tate Frazier, um, John Fanta. If you didn't catch our episode with John Fanta, it was a Maui Invitational preview, so it might be a little bit dated now. But John is a super, super fun personality. Uh, he always is just bring. He always brings it. He always brings the heat. So please go check out that podcast as well. Our last podcast, we did a Maui Invitational breakdown as well as kind of a Duke preview. So that's why we're not doing too much of a. There hasn't been a game since our last podcast, so we're not really doing a Duke preview. Um, it was just me and Connor. We're just going to do it with Tate. So uh, if you're wanting to follow us on Twitter, you can find me at Justin underscore Golba. You can find Connor at uh, Lamont's underscore Connor. I believe is his Twitter. And LandGrant33 is the main website, Twitter, while also Bucketheads, LGHL. I do also believe we're going to be doing some spaces with OSU Hoops Insider, if you're familiar with them uh, and that account. So definitely look out for that. Don't know when we're doing one. Probably doing it for the Duke game, hopefully, but not positive. Stay on the lookout for that. And also try to make us the most followed podcast in the Land Grant Holy Land family networks because that would be super funny. Because obviously Ohio State is a very prominent football school. It'd be funny if the highest followed podcast Twitter was the basketball one. So please do that for us. And without further ado, here is Titus and Tate's Tate Frazier. All right, since this is Duke Week, we are joined by one of the biggest Duke haters on the planet, Mr. Tate Frazier. Tate co-hosts the Titus and Tate's the Titus and Tate podcast and does other college basketball coverage for Fox Sports, including the occasional play-by-play for our beloved St. John's Red Storm. Tate, thank you for uh, jumping on with us for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I'm happy to be here. And, uh, you know, I'm, anytime that you need someone to come on and try to sift through uh, the Duke Blue Devils, I'm happy, to, I'm happy to be that man. You know, I'll step in and, and I'll do my best to try to give you guys some help, give you some guidance, and hopefully you get out of Cameron Indoor with the win. Absolutely. What, uh, we, we, we could have gone any number of ways with this preview with our guests. We could have uh, done the Duke basketball report as the SB Nation site. They had me on last year where I told them point blank, Ohio State can't beat Duke. It simply will not happen. And those guys are <laughs> we're sitting there just like, what the hell just happened after they lost? Yeah. But we decided to bring, uh, bring, a, bring a tried and true Tar Heel on to talk about Mr. K's former program. Seemed like <laughs> the best move content wise, which we'll get into Duke, into Duke momentarily. But I do have to ask. Yeah. After please. seeing Caleb Love take 36 shots in one basketball <laughs> game, how close is your hand to the panic button right now? I, uh, you know, it's one of those things where Caleb Love is always going to be Caleb Love. And, uh, you know, we love him when it goes in and, and we, you know, smack the table and uh, and walk around in misery when he takes 36 shots and, uh, and they do not go in. That was actually, uh, I mentioned this to Titus on our show, that was the first game that he has scored 20 or more points and Carolina has lost 
Uh, granted, it went to four overtimes, <laughs> but um, that was one of my favorite stats that uh, every time Caleb scored 20 or more, we would win. Um, that is now gone. So that's, But I can still say that we are undefeated in regulation when Caleb scores 20 or more points. So, uh, you know, that's my nice little wrinkle I can throw in there. But it, it, it's tough, but at some level, it was great to be ranked number one, but we knew it was a little bit of fool's gold. And uh, if anything, it just confirms that the magic of last season was really magic. And uh, I'm just glad it happened the way it did, because if it didn't, I'd be really upset right now, fellas. Yeah, when I was in high school, my freshman year, we played in the state championship against uh, high school hoop god, mixtape god, Akil Carr. He took 42 mm. shots in that game. Uh, he was <laughs> he was nine for 42. So I do have someone that can best whatever Caleb Love just did. He, was, yeah. he played horrible, but uh, he was always fun to watch. He was like 19 in high school, but we won't get into that. Uh, as we move into our Duke preview, what are your general thoughts of John Shire as his you know as his Duke Blue Devils uh, get going in his first year? Well, I mean, I think right now from the outside looking in, again, it just seems like Duke is a very young team, but that is, you know, something we've gotten used to, obviously, in the one and done Duke era since 2011, since they got Kyrie Irving to come. Um, that That is who they are a little bit, but I am, uh, <laughs> you know, you mentioned the panic button, you know, a few of my Duke friends that I, that I have talked to, they are... Uh, they were a little upset right now because they they are worried that maybe uh, Mr. K, um, you know, who <laughs> handpicked his successor, he may have handpicked the wrong man um, because uh, so far John Shire has not shown the ability to kind of impose that Duke um, sort of air right that they have around them. And uh, there was always when you played Duke some sort of sense of no matter what we do at the end of the game, like somehow they're going to come away with the win, right? And, uh, and they, you know, I mean, Mr. K would, would work refs, you know, better than anyone we've ever seen in the history of the game. John Shire does not have that same charisma. He does not have, um, you know, so far, I should say he has not, he has not shown that ability to be able to, to maneuver and, uh, manipulate the game in the favor of the blue devils. And, uh, without that, maybe they aren't as scary as they once were, which is, uh, encouraging for, you know, all the teams that are lining up against them. But, uh, at this point, um, I don't know. For for Duke, I'm a little bit worried. I'm a little a little bit concerned, but they keep pointing to, you know, uh Whitehead and Lively as the reasons why, right? Because they're not 100% and apparently when they are 100%, Duke's going to be a national title contender. I'm not really sure I see that so far and uh I'm not really sure John Shire um, you know, <laughs> is the guy to really get these guys to galvanize and, and be a title, you know, type team, but I could be proven wrong and if you look at the AP poll, they still think they're better than Carolina, so there you go. So this Duke team is coached by one of the one of the greatest three point shooters in Duke history, and ironically yeah. enough, it might be the worst shooting Duke team ever. I was looking at like uh, Sports Reference, and it only lets you go back to 1985. But I have not found a worse three point or overall field goal percentage team for for Duke at least since 1985. So, <laughs> with that said, do you think this is an outlier? Like through eight games, or whatever, they're just struggling, or do you think that they actually? They have so much size, but they may actually just be a really shitty like shooting team. They're just not going to make shots. Yeah, I mean, you would think that eventually the percentages will play themselves out and they'll get back to some sort of uh, you know respectable level. But Mark Mitchell, like you said, I mean, he's the only one that has a respectable per- percentage at this point. I think he's shooting around 37% from three. But guys that you would assume veteran guys on the team like Jeremy Roach or, or Jacob Grandison, um, they have not looked good shooting the ball as well. 
Um, and just in general, as a team, they just looked a little bit you know, lost out there. I, I think the most damning thing I saw against Purdue was not even on the offensive end. It was on the defensive end when they started going to a zone. Um, that, that to me was a, a red flag. Uh, and, and the funniest part about it was that Purdue, because Matt Painter is such a good coach immediately when they went to zone, he just overloaded, you know, one side of the floor, one third of the floor. And, uh, and those guys, you know, were basically in a mismatch where they had numbers and, and they just like ran around the zone and, and, and made them look stupid. So, um, there, there are some coaching things that I think with this Duke team that they're still figuring it out. And, uh, you know, they, they brought in Mike Schrage from Elon, who was the head coach there. He left being a head coach at Elon to come be the, the, you know, a top assistant slash, you know, maybe real head coach for Duke. And, uh, so far, um, things he was have an been, assistant under, under Holtman before he went to Elon too. Yeah, there you go. So there, there, maybe there's some, uh, maybe he's the one that is, is the key in this game for Duke to kind of know what Holtman's got going on. But, uh, you know, right now the Duke just seems like they don't have an identity. I personally think Mark Mitchell's their best player. But he's still, you know, he he's got growing pains a little bit as well. So uh, as a team right now, they're they're a little bit uh, they're a little bit out of it. But Philip Philipowski, the freshman, I think he he won ACC Freshman of the Week for the third straight time. He is probably the the bright spot if you're a Duke fan and you're saying, hey, that guy uh, looks like a Duke player. That guy plays like a Duke player, and he also wears John Shire's number. So I'm sure he's the coach's favorite player. <laughs> and uh, you know. You mentioned growing pains, and that's definitely something this team is going through. They're all five-star guys, and obviously they're all talented, but yep. they're incredibly young, and they're not. I don't really see a Zion or an RJ Barrett on this team. Do you think they're kind of relying a little bit too much on young guys? Last year they went to the Final Four, and they at least had you know the Wendell Moores of the world. I don't really know if this team has that outside of maybe Jeremy Roach, who's a sophomore. <laughs> Yeah, Jeremy Roach is the one that that really, you know, he has to be kind of the heart and soul of this team and the one that leads them to the promised land, so to speak. But if they had, e- even if Trevor Keels had come back to this team, I think I would have been a lot more, um, you know, able to buy in on what this team looks like as far as a Final Four Elite Eight type team. Um, but with Roach and Grandison, and Grandison was not their first choice, right? They were going after, you know, a lot of different guys to kind of bring into the building. One of those guys that didn't come that they were high on was Baylor Shireman, who I just saw in Maui at Creighton. And he's a guy that if he had gone to Duke, I would be very concerned. He's a really good player, would have fit in well with, I think, what Shire is trying to build there. Um, just in general, I, I think that, yeah, like the, like you said, they, they don't really have that guy like a window more who can be that leader on the court. And maybe Roach, as the year goes on and wears on, he becomes that guy. But he doesn't have um, the ceiling of someone like a window more who, you know, could could obviously end up, you know, ended up being drafted. So, you know, had a lot of talent. I'm not sure Jamie Roach will be a guy who ever gets drafted. But um, they have two guys who are supposed to be top five picks. Um, and Whitehead and Lively. And then Filipowski looks like he could be a, a guy that goes first round in the NBA as well. So when you have that type of talent on your team and you have that kind of length, you got guys that are 7'1", seven, 7'0", seven um, and even a spark plug like Mark Mitchell, maybe as it, as the season goes on and we get into February, those guys, you know, for <laughs> as much as we joke about it on our show, those guys, you know, they're not freshmen anymore, as they like to say. Um, as they get into that part of the season – Maybe that talent starts to, you know, show out in the ACC, which is a little bit down this year. So, I mean, you could you could talk yourself into, um, you know, let time play itself out with this team. But 
if, if you're John Shire right now, you're probably, you know, watching film and just trying to figure out who who this team really is and who they need to be and who they need to feature because they look like uh, they're all trying to figure it out right now. And then just a, a follow up on that. I think Jeremy Roach hurt himself in their loss. To yeah. So I don't even know if he's going to play against Ohio State to me. This Duke team, and this could be drastic, this Duke team looks more like the Duke team that uh, nominally chose to not play in the NCAA tournament, air quotes, a few years ago um, than the Final Four team. I'd like This looks like a team that if they're only getting four to seven points from guys like Lively and Whitehead and Filipowski is your only guy that's really being productive, and you don't have guys like... Uh, um, geez, who was the center? Was it Mark Williams last year? Was that their yeah, center? Mark Williams. And, yeah. and like Justin said, Wendell Moore, they don't have even any junior senior anchors around those guys. If the if the, the freshmen don't don't pan out, I mean, this Duke team could keep sliding down possibly. Yeah, and they brought in you know Ryan Young from Northwestern, and uh, you know he kind of gives me Brian Zubek vibes. And you know Brian Zubek was obviously the center on the team that John Shire was on that won the national championship in 2010. And if you were to kind of diagnose what I think the identity of what John Shire wants his Duke to look like. It looks like that 2010 team, which was a, a team that was overachieving once we got later in the year. So, you know, he, he probably would argue that they're going through a process right now where they're learning who they are and that they expect to be a team that's a contender later in the year. But I mean, you're right. Like, I mean, you don't have the number one pick on your team. You don't have a Paolo Bancaro. I, I don't. I don't see that guy out there. I, I see guys that have talent um, in a vacuum, but they they have not translated it yet. Even a guy like you know Proctor, who is supposed to be a great shooter, so far he's five for thirty-two on the season, right? But when he shoots the ball, I mean, it looks good, but it's just not going in. So maybe there, you know, you can talk yourself into it at some point. But if you keep shooting twenty-six percent from the field or from the three-point line. Um, you know, something's got to change. And uh, that drive and kick, if we're driving and kicking to guys who can't make shots, uh, then we're going to have a long season. So the next question is, is you are Chris Holtman. You're on the sideline in your polo and your khakis and sneakers. <laughs> you do not have a seven foot five Zach Eady. What you do have is a six foot nine Zed Key. Yeah. Um, with, with a height deficiency from Ohio State to Duke, but you also know Duke's shortcomings. If you are Chris Holtman, what is your strategy going into this game? What would your blueprint be and say, if we can follow this blueprint, I think we can win this game? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think one of the guys that I think will have to be important in this game for Ohio State is uh, number 34, uh, wearing the same number as my co-host, Mark Titus, uh, Felix Akpara. I think, uh, you know, he's a seven-footer. I liked what I saw in flashes in the Valley Invitational. I think, you know, to match some of that length that Duke's ha that Duke has, maybe he is, uh, you know, kind of a, a, an X factor in this game, someone that you can – because let's be honest, you're playing in Cameron Indoor, guys, and to win in Cameron Indoor, at least in, in the Coach K era, you had to beat Duke by 10 to win by one, right? That That's pretty much like the rule of Cameron Indoor. To, to beat Duke by one in Cameron, you have to win by 10, literally. So – in general, Zed Key's probably going to be in foul trouble. Let's just go ahead and, you know, he's probably going to have two fouls by the under 16. So he's probably going to be on the bench in the first half. And Felix, I think, can come in this game. They probably want to bring a freshman into that environment and and, and probably expect him not to step up and play as well. But I think that he has um, some, some real natural ability. I also think he's not afraid of the moment. And I think he got some real good experience some, against some really good teams. Um 
in Maui. So for me, I think just trying to to match fire with fire a little bit. Don't be upset when when uh, Zed is eventually in foul trouble because um, you just have to expect that in that building. That's what's going to happen. And you hope a guy like Akpar can come in and, and maybe step up and uh, and be, you know, this could be a game that gives him a lot of confidence. And as a group, as a team, like you guys mentioned at the top of the show, you beat Duke last year, and you beat a Duke team that had four guys who uh, are now playing in the NBA, and and one of them was the number one pick. So the confidence has to be there. Chris Holtman, you know, we we joke about how much he likes to sandbag about his teams and, and say, oh, shucks, I'm not sure how good we are. It'll be a tough one, but. Oh, we have a um, question about that later, don't you? Yeah, worry. please, please bring it up. But uh, I think in general, he can come into this game with this group. You, you, you come in with some confidence, and um, and you're ranked. I, I like that. I like that Ohio State comes in, and this will be a ranked matchup. And uh, and they showed um, they showed some grit, some toughness in Maui because uh, you know that first game was a tough game against San Diego State. In that environment, you go in the loser's bracket, it's easy to kind of lose focus and kind of mail it in, but they did not do that. In fact, they looked even better um, as the tournament wore on, and I think that they left that tournament with maybe the second most confidence outside of Arizona. So um, I'm excited to see what Ohio State looks in that building, and I'm also excited to see what that building looks like without you know Coach K hovering over it, right? It's going to be – we'll see if it's the same Cameron <laughs> crazy atmosphere. It'll be interesting. So that leads into my next question uh, perfectly. <clears throat> excuse me, because as you said, Coach K said, air quotes, he's not going to be around the program. He's not going to be doing nothing. But if they keep <laughs> losing, is he going to start popping up in film sessions with his hand raised in the back of the room? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if you guys, uh, maybe you've heard me talk about it on the show, but Coach K has not left his office Um he, he still has his office. So if you if you go to the basketball office at Duke, you go to the sixth floor, which, you know, is ironic that the sixth floor is where he is. But the whole floor is Coach K's floor. His office is still there. John Shire, they're building him his own office. So he he did he did not get to move into the head coach's office. He, he has to wait while they build him an office. So maybe that's why he's struggling a little bit early because, you know, he doesn't even have somewhere to work out of um, at I this point. comfortable for the head coach, you know? I mean, come on. Yeah, it's got to be a little bit weird. As much as Kay is like, I will not be going to games like Roy Williams and hoarding over the program, he's literally not moving out of his office. So I, I – uh, I think that would be more concerning uh, than a coach going to cheer on the team. But who? What do I know? Um, you know, maybe those things are are one to one, like he says. But I think Coach K will come and step in when asked, and I think that he is tapping his hands on the desk, waiting for them to ask. Him. <laughs> the time, the time is coming. The, the, the time, time is, the time is near. That is for sure. He's sitting up in the top level of the castle, waiting. <laughs> they can hear him. They can hear him stirring. All right, you're were, you're were talking about Holtman and how he talks about his teams early on. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you a quote from his press conference today that I was at, and okay. then we're gonna get your thoughts. Okay, Please. so Holtman said, Duke is the number one offensive rebounding team in the nation. So to say that that's a concern is putting it likely. Uh, mm. You know, we're looking to see how our guys respond to this environment. I think it's going to require it's going to require great poise. I don't think we'll be perfect in our first go-around playing an environment like this. I just don't think we will. But I think this will be a good experience learning for us as we move forward. So, do you think that Ohio State is going to struggle mightily in this game, like Holtman seems to be inferring here? Or do you think uh, he's doing the thing where he sets the bar real low ahead of time? 
I think uh, I, I think he's playing it smart here. I think he's trying to to get Duke to not have any bulletin board material. This is what Chris Holtman does well. We we all know that. We all respect that. Um, and I think that you know Holtman even after the Texas Tech game, you know he, he pulls Bruce Sensible out of that game, uh, you know, and sits him down and is like, you know, hey buddy, th- this is how things are going to go. Da 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 da. And uh, and Sensible, I think, will be a factor in this game. I think that you know, just because Duke is young, I think Sensible can can come into this game and actually have an impact. And when you have three guys that are averaging double figures, you know, with Suing and Key and Sensible, um, I, I just think that you have a nice like litany of an attack and then you got two guards you know with with ice and thornton that are experienced guys that don't necessarily need to score to make an impact um and that is something where that team basketball and the way that they're playing right now as a group and the fact that you can't really pinpoint one guy as the guy because as we saw suing goes off for 33 i mean what an what an amazing you know Mm -hmm. performance from him you wouldn't have thought that going into the game but you know zed could go off for 20 cents a ball i mean he he can score um you know with the best of them in the country so um i just think that duke is going to have a hard time you know sifting through um, the, the guys that can actually contribute for Ohio State. And I think Ohio State hopefully uh, won't be overwhelmed um, by the length of Duke and by the moment of being in Cameron. And if they if they just play patient basketball and if Chris Holtman can keep them, um, you know, believing that they're supposed to win this game and that they're the better team, which I think they are, then I, I think they leave Cameron with another win. And Chris Holman says, hey, we just won back-to-back against Duke. And we got Carolina coming up, uh, you know, in December. And there's a chance we could sweep the Blue Bloods. <laughs> Justin's going to jump in in a second. But I do I do want to say, I, it feels like, and I'm sure that you talk to Titus probably almost daily, so he probably has said this too. It feels like since Chris Holman's gotten to Ohio State, a lot of these big hyped-up games, uh, Carolina at Carolina, Villanova at home, Duke, like Ohio State seems to win a lot of these hyped up rank games. It's the random February Thursday night against Nebraska or at yeah. Penn State that they blow those games, and then you you're like, what the what the fuck just how <laughs> how do we beat Villanova by twenty five and lose? That's kind of what I feel like the the Holtman uh, agenda has been since he got there. They win a lot of these big hyped up games. It's like the oddball against Nebraska or Minnesota that they stumble, and you're like, how how did that happen? Yeah, and and I think it's good for if you're Ohio State. I mean, I won't speak for you guys, but I think you know the CBS Classic in 2019. I still go back to that because you beat Kentucky. I think they were ranked number three at that time. And then uh, you know Calipari after the game said that Ohio State was the best team in the country. You know to, to kind of cover for his you know his own basis for why he lost. But that that was another big impact game where you know Chris Holman delivers on a big stage. I think. He he is well equipped to to coach against these coaches. He's one of the best coaches in the country. That's why it's nice to have him on your side. So the roster may not always. Unfortunately, it feels like every year there's one guy that should have come back that that leaves because they have to for the NBA reasons. But um, you know, if Malachi Branham was on this team, you know, we're talking about Ohio State as you know a top ten type team that that could make a national title type run. You know what I mean? Um, so. In general, I think Chris Holtman knows how to get prepared for the big games. I just hope that it translates to March. He needs one March run to to get the people really buying in. Um, you know, one Elite Eight, one Final Four run where everyone's like, okay, I see the vision. Now we've had all these stacked up wins over the years. You know, we've beaten the Carolinas. We've beaten the Villanovas. We've beaten the Dukes. 
Um, but now let's do it in March. And then I think he gets the credit he deserves finally. Yeah, I don't think Cal realized how much he actually uh, hurt the basketball program by saying that because he said that right around a time where all the football fans of Ohio State start paying a little bit of attention to basketball, and then they ended <laughs> up losing to West Virginia like a week later, and all the football fans were like, "Well, what the fuck? You told us they were good." So yeah. that was kind of a that was kind of surprise, a surprise. John Calipari had an agenda. Who would have thought? <laughs> and you know who was on that West Virginia team, Justin Oscar Sheboy. It all mm-hmm. comes full circle. It all absolutely all full circle. That's Cal plays a long game. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna start with some rapid fire questions here. These aren't necessarily about Duke, but feel free to make them about Duke. Actually, my <laughs> okay. first one is about Duke because I came up with this just as you were talking. I'm just actually curious. Do you have a favorite player you've ever watched play inside Cameron Indoor just because of like their villain type? Like it might be Tyler Hansborough. Mine is Grievous Vasquez personally. I always love yeah. watching Grievous play inside Cameron Indoor. Do you have one? I mean, Hansborough was awesome just because Hansborough never lost there. And, uh, you know, Hansborough's freshman year, especially because, you know, it was JJ Reddick's senior night. Um, it, I it was, that. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was a Sheldon Williams, JJ Reddick show. They didn't even talk about Carolina pregame. They just, it was, it was kind of like a, a precursor to the the Coach K final game in Cameron, where it was all this lead up about JJ and how he changed college basketball and how he was this seminal figure we'll be talking about for years and years and years. And uh, meanwhile, Tyler Hansborough, you know, actually was the guy that was a seminal figure that was going to dominate college basketball. But, um, you know, he hit a big three in that game and to get us up by 13 points and uh, that building was just dead silent, and it's something I'll remember forever because you know it was like David Noel. It was the year after Carolina won the title too, so you know they were playing a little bit with house money. Tyler was a true freshman. Bobby Frazier was our point guard, and uh, to go in and win that game, that was uh, that was the best. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. What is your favorite college basketball venue outside of the Dean Dome? Obviously, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, man, I, you know, I have soft spots. You know, I have a soft spot for Pauley Pavilion just because I, I live in Los Angeles and go to to a good amount of UCLA games. Um, so I would say that is up there, um, probably as like my number two outside of the Dean Dome, just because, like I said, it's, it feels a little bit like my local team, and I'm a sucker for history. So uh, you know, going around Pauley. Um, and seeing all the wooden stuff and the pyramid of success, um, all that stuff really gets to me. But one of the most impressive places outside of there was Assembly Hall. I went to the revamped Assembly Hall. Titus and I did a tour there. 
um, a few years back, and uh, I, I came away. I'm not excited to watch the Tar Heels play there on Wednesday night. I want to be. I want to make sure that's clear. But um, I, I think that's a really, really cool venue, and uh, I, I'm excited to go to Allen Fieldhouse. I've never been to Allen Fieldhouse, um, Lawrence, Kansas. Never been there before. Um, a kid from my hometown that I, I grew up watching him when he was, I mean, five, six years old at the YMCA. And, uh, he, you know, his uncle was one of my good friends and he's playing at Kansas now, MJ Rice. So I got to go out to uh, Lawrence to uh, to see him play. So once I go to Allen Fieldhouse, I think that will probably um, be my number one, just based on all accounts um, from people I've talked to. But uh, somewhere in there, you know, I, I have a respect for those blue bloods, um, you know, whether it be Pauly or Allen Fieldhouse or Assembly Hall. All right, Tate, name another college basketball player that should be allowed to take 36 shots in a game. This year or just in general? This year. <laughs> Probably Max Asmus, right? He's still playing college basketball. Oh, get him uh, out of here. Yeah, Somehow, you, yes, you, guys, you guys don't want to hear that. Uh, but, company. Yeah, he, yeah he, he's one of those guys that probably probably could be allowed to do that. Um, I'm trying to think about NIL guys who are getting paid a lot of money that probably should shoot just because of how much they're getting paid. Oh, Nigel um, Pack. Yeah, there you go. Nigel Pack or Isaiah Wong. Both those guys are making you know uh, six figures for Miami. So maybe maybe one of those guys could be there. Um, I think uh, my my final answer will be uh, T.J. Shannon at Illinois. I, I think I think uh, T.J. Shannon is is a guy that I, he might take thirty shots in a game, and it'll be warranted because uh, he's a really good player. So I have my prediction for this, but I'm curious as to who you think it is. Which head coach will lead the nation in technicals this year? Oh, uh, Dan Hurley. Um, I think, I think Dan Hurley, Dan Hurley's got a top 10 team. Um, this is a man who has taken a charge as a coach on the sideline. I've never seen that before. And I hope to never see it again. Um, I think there, I think with the pressure of being a top 10 team at UConn, um, and just, you know, how, how feisty and, and, uh, excitable he is in general, I think he leads the country. Name your favorite mid-major basketball program to watch this season. I mean, the uh, mid-major is tough, you know, because a lot of the, you know, a lot of people are like, we're not mid-major. Um, Gonzaga doesn't count. Creighton yeah, doesn't count. Creighton doesn't count. Exactly. Uh, that's like Creighton would be the answer for like, you know, ten years ago, you might be able to say Creighton and get away with it, but Creighton is high major. They're they're probably the, I think they are the best team in the Big Ten or <laughs> Big Ten in the Big East. Uh, and uh, so so when you got Creighton and uh, and you got UConn in the Big East, so I mean those guys will be battling out. So that's high major basketball. Uh, my favorite mid major this year. You know, the team that I, I am so intrigued by and Carolina just played them is Portland um, just because Portland should have beat Michigan State. Um, yeah, they look at good. Least, yeah, they look good. And, they, and they're, you know, it seems like they're a team that is trending upwards and, you know, maybe they give Gonzaga a tough game in conference. So that could be something interesting. And then a team I'm always keeping an eye on just because of the money that's involved is Grand Canyon. So uh, Grand Canyon has my attention. Uh, they beat Grambling State after Grambling State was hot early in the season. So um, I uh, Grand Canyon, I always keep an eye on. So those are probably my two, Portland and Grand Canyon. I think uh, I'm a Kent State alum, and uh, Kent State just played maybe one of the most disgusting basketball games of all time, losing I to Houston 49-44. to um, So <laughs> And our, our best player went two for 22 from the field. So that's that's uh, similar. He might be able to take 36 shots, but I don't know if he'll make any of them <laughs> at this rate. Um, so gun to your head. Where's Rick Pitino coaching next season? 
Ooh, I, 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 man, I, mean, I won't Rick everywhere. You know what I mean? I won't Rick. <laughs> I won't Rick anywhere and everywhere that needs Rick. You know, he is our Batman. He is he is the the man that you can. He's the bag man, really, that you can bring in and change things. I do think there is a pool. There is an attraction. There is a there is something that's going on with Louisville right now because uh, it's good that Kenny Payne is there because Kenny Payne has brought back in the Denny Crumb guys, you know, like the Dale Griffiths, the Doctors of Dunk, all those all those guys from the 80, 86 team. He has brought in that group, which Rick Pitino kind of uh, isolated and pushed away because um, he wanted it to be the Rick Pitino show because the, he's Rick Pitino. That's what happens. Um, but I think that Kenny Payne might be such a good guy that he calls Rick Pitino and says, we need you back at Louisville. I want to be a winning program. Please, coach, come here. And then Kenny Payne is like, uh, you know, an associate head coach or some title like that. Rick Pitino, who has been cleared of all wrongdoing um, in the FBI situation. And uh, I think he comes in with a clean slate and says, I'm back and uh, and tries to tries to win a title because he, he 2013 doesn't count, even though it should. So Rick Pitino still needs to win one at Louisville. And I think the job's not finished. So we got to bring him back. That is quite literally the best possible thing to to end on. So Tate, we appreciate you uh, you joining us for this uh, this fantastic Duke preview that went off the rails. It seems at the <laughs> end there. Um, if anybody that does not already follow you wants to follow you on Twitter or check up on all the stuff that you're working on right now, where they, where can they do that? They can find uh, the show is Titus and Tate is twice a week, uh, Tuesdays and Fridays. Talk about college basketball and all things in between. We have a lot of fun with that. And then, uh, you know, all the social media stuff is at Tate Frazier. Frazier like Walt Frazier. Frazier like Joe Frazier. Not Frazier like Kelsey Grammer's TV show. So um, that is where you can find me. And, uh, you know, we're we're really excited for this season. Uh, my North Carolina Tar Heels, uh, hopefully someone will tell them the season has started soon and uh, and 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 they'll start playing basketball. That'll be fun. But uh, until then, I, I'm enjoying watching uh, a lot of good teams. And uh, one of those teams I enjoyed watching was uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes. So I'm hoping that they keep it up tomorrow night in Cameron. There we go. All right, Tate. We appreciate it. Um, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you guys. Good luck tomorrow.